Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. The great Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius once said, the object of life is not to be on the side of the majority, but to escape finding oneself in the ranks of the insane. I like that. I think there's something, there's something to that. The point of life is not to go with the crowd and go with the, the flow, but to, to somehow not find yourself in amongst all the crazy people, right? And I don't know if you've noticed this lately, but it's getting a little crazy out there. Um, and I don't know how lately that is. It's probably actually been going on for quite a while. And, and if you think I'm wrong, I don't know, read the news. Like, Look at what's, what's happening in, in our culture. Um, it's really weird out there. And I think part of my job as a, a minister in a church and someone who communicates to you regularly and, and is I'm trying to build a bridge between what the Scripture says and what God is teaching us and what is going on in culture around us and trying to help people navigate and walk through life. And, and uh, so I, I feel like part of my job is to look at the culture and understand it, like what is happening. So I, I spend a lot of time reading about and thinking about where is culture going? What, what are we doing? What are we believing as a society? And um, it's just getting weird out there. I mean, it's weirder than when I even started in this church 13 years ago. Uh, things are getting awfully uh, strange. Um, and I don't know when the weirdness started. You, you, you can point back to different things. You could say, oh, well, March of 2020, you know, things, that, was a, that was a weird month, and we all remember where we were when, when things really turned, and, and, and all the COVID stuff made people who used to be my friends, now they're my enemies, and it made my enemies into monsters, and like, it's just been so weird over the last year and a half. And yeah, there's, there's that. That was weird. The election of 2020 was weird. January 6th was weird. The previous summer of 2020 was weird. Um, but there's been weird and, and insane going on for longer than that, right? You go back to the 2016 election, you remember how that felt and what that was like. That was a, that was a pretty wild time in our culture, and there was some weird stuff going on. But if you back up even before that, let's go to, I would say history will point to the year 2012 as a pretty big year. Um, you don't even remember what was going on in 2012, but if we go back that far, the, the, the relevant statistic is that in 2012 was the first year that more than 50% of the population got smartphones, which means it's like, yay, smartphones. Like, and there's some great things about that. There's Uber and Candy Crush. Sure, that's, that's awesome that we have these things. But there's a downside to it. This is when you see a, a, a significant uptake in anxiety and depression, particularly among teenagers, um, image management and all the things that go along with that with Instagram and all that. Like you see that uptick in 2012. It was a significant year. So maybe that's when it got crazy and weird in our culture. But you could probably back up before that and say, well, 2007 when the iPhone was invented, that's when it got really weird. But if you maybe go back before that, you go 1994-ish when the internet started to become a thing. Maybe the internet is what has actually made us all crazy, and that is the thing that's 
it got weird in 1994. But really, if you want to go back before that, you'd have to go with like computers being invented in the 70s and go like, well, you know, the personal computer and that everyone has a screen and a phone and a device and all these things. Like the, the, the genesis of that's back in the 70s. Maybe that's when it got weird. And then people who've lived longer than that will go before that and they'll go, actually, when the television was created, that's when it, it started getting weird. And then you go back before that and you go, no, it was movies that really corrupted our minds and, 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 the, and, and particularly the talking ones, the, the silent ones weren't so bad. And you know, like, like you keep going back and there's always stuff you can point to. And I don't know the origin of it. I don't know who lit the match or when that happened exactly. But I think in 2022, some things were on fire and, and I want to talk about it. And not just to talk about it. I don't want to spend my energy just like, oh, ain't it awful? And like, I, it's good to know what's going on, but some of that becomes a little bit unproductive to just kind of complain and moan about how terrible things are. Um, but I think there's a, I, I do think it's worth looking at what's going on. And the bigger issue for me as just a guy living here on earth and trying to, trying to get by in the years that I have, I think the, the bigger issue for me and really for all of us is, okay, what am I going to spend my energy on and what do I do, what is worth doing with the few years that I have on earth? I only have a limited amount of time and energy and money and all that, and so what am I going to do with this, um, with, with, with this time that I have in the midst of all these things swirling around in culture? This is an important question. The, the, the questions of what is life about, what is the purpose of it, why are we here, um, those are questions that have religious answers and have always had religious answers. One of the values of religion historically has been it provides you answers to those big questions. Hey, what is life about? Well, God and, and all of that, and then look at what God has taught us and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there's a lot of value to that, whether you call it a higher power or this uh, or or. or, or this greater power in the universe where you just said, God, um, if you believe in any of that, you go, okay, there's something out there that's not me. There's this greater personal, there's this greater force in the universe. There's this God and he exists and he tells me why I exist and he tells me what I should be doing. God provides a why for your existence and a what about what you should be about. And if there is no God, and none of that is true, and we go full atheist or at least mild agnostic or something like that, then you are left with um, the meaning, the purpose, the, the reason for your existence and what, why you are and what you should be about. All of that is up to you to decide, and you get to pick. And on the surface, that sounds great. I love choices, except that in reality, that kind of situation is very, very anxiety-producing. It, it's, it sounds great in three, but in reality, we get to pick what we're about and what life is and what meaning is and all that fills us with anxiety. So if things are anxious and a little bit crazy around us, how do we keep our heads? How do we stay rooted and grounded in a, in a, in a world that's not those things? And I think rooted and grounded is an important thing for us to consider. How do we, how, uh, to say it this way for the series, how do, we, how do we maintain this island of sanity in the midst of a sea of crazy? See, we're doing an island theme. Did you catch that? We're, we're like, you know, it's cold in January. Let's pretend we're somewhere else and where it's warm and it's nice. So we put, well, lifesavers, I suppose, but, uh, you know, tubes up here, just this island theme. How do, we, how, do we, how do we stay rooted and grounded when everything is swirling around us? And I think rooted and grounded is important because all of us have the tendency to 
get unglued, to go off the rails, to get radicalized. Even people, friends, family that you know, you didn't see it coming, but they, they got crazy over the last couple of years. They got radicalized. They, they, they changed, and, and maybe you've felt that pull inside of yourself as well. How do any of us, how do all of us stay rooted and grounded um, in a culture that's going a little bit crazy? Especially, and it's especially difficult to stay rooted and grounded if you lack like a true north, if you lack this compass point, you lack this central thing to keep you lined up, it can be very difficult. So for the next four weeks, I want to talk about four ancient practices, four ways of being, four disciplines, four followers of Jesus that they have always practiced that have helped them keep their heads when the world's going crazy, because we're not the only ones. Other cultures have lived through uh, very atheist communism and, and, and a feudal system in the Middle Ages that wasn't great, and, and through the Roman Empire and different attacking groups and all this. Like, There's been craziness around us at all times throughout history, and Christians have practiced several different things that we're going to talk about over the next four weeks, and, and these four practices help us keep our head on straight. Now, if you're a Christian, these should be a good reminder to you, and, and, and I'm hoping at the beginning of this year you're going, okay, I'm going to do these things this year consistently. This is going to, this is, this is going to change me when I do these four things. But if you're not a Christian, I'm going to give you four fairly Christian things um, and, and I just want to say first, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're checking it out. And my guess is that you've noticed the world's a little crazy too, right? You don't have to be religious to notice that. You sort of go like, man, what is going on out there, and why is it so weird right now? Why are people getting a little nutty out there? You've noticed that too. And so let me give you four things that I think Christians should practice, and, and if you want to try to practice these things as well and you're not a Christian, I think these will be beneficial, and I think you'll grow from these, and these will help change you. So practice number one, and these are all going to be pretty simple. Practice number one that I just want to talk about today is this, and is like you won't even write this down. This is so simple. It's this. Read. Read. In the Old Testament, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the fifth book of the Bible, um, we have the story of and the history of the Israelite people. Now, the Israelites were um, a group of, uh, 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 an ethnic group that kind of grew up and, and became numerous when they were slaves in Egypt. So for 400 years, from about 1800 B.C. to about 1446 B.C., somewhere in there, they were slaves in Egypt. At that time, God raised up a leader named Moses, and Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And then these plagues happened. And eventually, the Israelites uh, leave under God's power. They leave Egypt, um, the Exodus. And then they go wander through the desert for 40 years. During that 40 years, God is preparing them to have their own place, to have their own land. And he's doing some work on their hearts and on their minds. This is important because as a, as a people group, for 400 years, you're slaves, and when you're slaves in Egypt, you do what you're told every day of the week. You don't think for yourselves. You don't order society the way you want it. You just live among Egyptians. You do it the way they tell you to do it, or they kill you. And this is the, this is the environment that a, an entire ethnic group lived with for 400 years. So when they get set free from that, 
It's cool to be free, but they don't know what to do. They don't know how to be. They don't know how to live. And so during this time, God gives them laws and rules and gives them boundaries and guardrails and says, this is the way you are to live. This is the way I've made you. And he gives things like the Ten Commandments. You've heard of those. But there's like 600 more commandments on top of those 10 that God gives to his people, the Israelites, while they wander through the desert before they go into what was called the promised land, which was a land occupied by a group of people called the Canaanites. Before they go into that land, it's in modern-day Israel on the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. Before they go into that land, uh, God speaks to them and says, hey, I need to get some things straight with you and understand because you can't be like the Egyptians. Don't live the way they lived. And don't be like the Canaanites. You are going to need to live separately. He called, hey, there's a word for that separation. He called it holy. You're to be holy. And so here's some rules about how you dress, how you eat, uh, relationships. Like here's some different rules for you, some guidelines, some guardrails, so that you are not like the Egyptians and you are not like the Canaanites. Um, and, and in some ways, what God was telling the Israelites is, I want you to be an island of sanity in a sea of crazy, because you're going to live amongst people. The Canaanites, you're going to live amongst people who eat differently than you, who uh, have relationships different than you, who do things like sacrifice children. I don't want you to do these things. I want you to be different. And so God lays out for them laws, rules, yes, but he also lays out for them some practices and some principles. And that takes us to Deuteronomy 6. Listen to what God says to his people through Moses before they go into this promised land. This is like, hey, I want you to get this right before you get there. Let, let's talk. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. He, he starts by laying some ground rules. Hey, this is why I'm telling you this. God's speaking through Moses to the people. Hey, listen. If you do these things, it's going to go well for you if you live this way because I made you, I know how humans are, and these are good boundaries for you. These are good, um, these are, these are good ways to live. And honestly, I know we have all this technology and we think we're so much smarter now, 3,500 years later, but people are still people and we still struggle with the same kinds of things. God wired us up in a certain way and that really hasn't changed. And, and so the wisdom he's going to lay on them, it's actually timeless. It worked then, and it's, it would be actually useful for us as well today. So he says, hey, do these things that will go well for you. And then listen to what he says, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is a famous verse in the Old Testament. This is called the Shema, and it is one of the most important uh, verses of all the scriptures for, for, for Jewish people. They would read that when they would come together in the synagogue or in the temple. And it was very simple. Hey, love, God is one, and you're supposed to love, which in, in, in a culture where there's a lot of polytheists, okay, who believe in multiple gods, that's a big deal. God is one, and here's your responsibility to him. Love him with all your heart and your soul and your might. So there is a God, he's one, he, he's personal, he's real, and your, your role is to love him and be in this loving relationship with him. 
And that's very simple. And it's very easy to forget, which is why they reminded themselves of it every single week. Hey, we, this is who we are supposed to be. It's easy to forget, and it's easy to get distracted and pulled in a million different directions. And that's true for them, and it's true for us. We get very distracted pursuing a career and a car and a house and a spouse and, and, and children and college and education and, and Netflix and all of the things. There's just so many distractions. And it's easy for us to get pulled off course and forget who we are and who we belong to and, and what relationships are primary. It's, and so this, God is one, you love him with all your heart, soul, and might, um, that, is, that is home base for us. This is crucial for us to remember because we're living in a culture in this metaverse that's getting weird, right? And we have to remember, you are not an avatar. You are not the digital expression of you. You are not just an employee. You are not just a mom. You are not a role that you fill. You are not, um, you know, a, a, a citizen. You are not th- this, uh, the boss at work or anything like that. You're not all of these things. You may function in some of those ways, but at the end of the day, you are a child of God. You are a creature that has been created. You have purpose. And we need to remember that because culture is going to scream at you and tell you you are just something else. You are just a citizen, just a... No, we have to remember who we are. Hear, O America, the Lord your God is one. You are to love him with all our heart, soul, and, and, and might. We have to keep this central. So how do we keep it central? He goes on in the next couple verses. Listen to this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall, listen, this is key. This is ancient parenting wisdom, among other things. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Boil this down, basically saying, read and know the scriptures, talk about them all the time, let them infuse every part of your life and every facet of your life. And there's a bunch of examples in there, right? Like he's saying, Read, you know, talk about the scripture when you're walking. When you, when you put your kids in bed, talk about it then. Um, write the scripture and put it on your house. Uh, this frontlets between the eyes like they would literally take scripture and put it like a little box on their forehead, which is weird. Um, but this idea that the scripture, reading it, knowing it, and living it needs to permeate all of your life. You read it and you let it change you. Now, That should make some sense to us that the things that we ingest change us, right? We can see that in a very physical way when we talk about food. We always say you are what you eat, right? So we we get the idea that when I bring something into my body, it it starts to shape who I am. So if you eat crappy food, you will have a crappy body because of that, right? Like it's obvious. You eat healthy food, you're going to have a healthier body. Like we know that. And in fact, so many of the things that we struggle with medically and health-wise when it's, you know, autoimmune things and, and, and cancer and all these things that we, that we deal with, probably, it, they, they've probably traced almost all of it back to what we eat, and over time, I'm sure they will trace almost everything back, because that seems to be the common denominator we are all eating all the time, and we need to figure out what is it we're putting in our body, because that changes us and shapes us. And while that is true of food, it is also true of the Scripture. When we read things, when we consume it, it shapes us. The content that you allow into your brain, into your mind, will shape your heart, mind, and soul. 
And so if you are reading the deep things, the ancient truths, the timeless stuff, if you are digging in and letting it shape you, that's huge. That's the meat and veggies. That's the good stuff. But if all of your content consumption is TikTok and memes and that kind of stuff, well, I mean, that's kind of the junk food of content, right? And you're going to think and, and exist with, uh, as if you're trying to live off of that junk food sort of diet, and it's not going to be good. So we need to read and get into the scriptures um, and let it change us. Why do we do this? Number one, when you read scripture, you know who God is. I think all of us have within us this quest for the divine, and, and we want to know, know that there's something out there, something greater, some higher power. And God, in his wisdom, wrote it down for us so we could know him. God didn't just show up to, to one pe- people group at one time. Yes, he came to earth in the Roman Empire in the form of Jesus. Yes, that is to a particular group at a particular time. But it was written down for us so that all people through all, all times could know who God is, he has come to earth, uh, understand something uh, about him, and, 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 and that's, that's huge. And so the blessing of reading the scripture and the benefit of reading the scripture every day is when you get into it, you get a glimpse of who God is and, and what he's about and what he cares about and how he ordered the universe and um, how the world is structured. Um, we learn about God when we read the scriptures. This should make sense to us because really, you learn something about Shakespeare by reading Shakespeare, right? Even if the play's about Hamlet, you understand a little bit about how Shakespeare saw the world and the things that he wrote about. When you see a, a great photograph, um, yes, you, you're seeing that picture, but you're also seeing how the photographer saw the world. You're learning a little bit about their view by, by what they chose to focus on, how they framed the picture, right? Um, and so we're used to that idea. You learn something about the author by reading their work. And I think that's true when we read the scripture. We learn something about God. That doesn't mean you're going to love everything you read. The Bible is a pretty varied book, a collection of books. There's a lot of different kinds of things in there, and some of it will, will, will be great, and some of it you won't like. It's not all rainbows and kittens in there. It is, um, it's, some of it's pretty messy because God interacts with humanity, and humanity is pretty messy, and it's not always pretty. But what you learn when you read is who God is and his character, and, and you'll read some things that will challenge you, and there'll be things that contradict you, and there'll be some, some things that might rebuke you, and you're going to learn all these things that, hey, God challenges me, and sometimes he, he pushes my buttons, and sometimes he says things that I don't like, but you'll also learn that he loves you, and that's, and that's huge. So when you read Scripture, you know who God is. Secondly, when you read Scripture, it reminds you of who you are. I have more to say about this in, in a message we'll do in February, and it's a theme I come back to a lot up here because I think identity and who we believe that we are is the fundamental issue and problem in our culture today. If I could boil it all down to the, the, the core, it is that um, we are, you know, who we say we are is a big deal. Knowing who we are, why we are, what are we supposed to do, this is the quest of the modern West. This is what we're into, trying to figure it all out and sort it all out. And every single day you are bombarded with advertising and, and, and memes and, and social media that is trying to tell you who you are. And when we read the scripture, um, I want to say it this way, it's going to sound negative, but when we read the scripture, it puts us in our place. And, and 
if I said, that's going to put you in your place, we'd be like, I don't want that. Like, don't put me out. No, I don't want to be put in like. But there's, there's something there. There's something valuable um, when we're able to see the bigger story of, of the universe and we're able to see our part in it. We're able to see, okay, God is like this and he calls me to be like this. Like I, I fit in there somewhere. And we learn that um, we are radically loved, I think is, is, a, is a really a really powerful thing and, and something we need to get a hang on, uh, get, get a hold on. So, so we don't just read the scripture to learn who God is. We, we really read them to learn who we are. And it can actually change us. One of the best things you could do in 2022 is, um, is read the scripture. And I know I'm a minister, and so you would expect me to say that. You just go like, well, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, if, if you... If I went and saw a personal trainer, they'd tell me to work out, too. Like, if I go see a nutritionist, they'll tell me to eat kale. Like, I get it. Like, I know how the game works, right? But it, this isn't just me speculating. Um, there's, there's actually some data points behind this. So there was a study done about reading the Scripture, and here's what they discovered. Um, if you read the Bible once a week, it does almost nothing for you, okay? Um, and... That should make sense, right? If you go to the gym once a week, it will do almost nothing for you, okay? Um, if you read the Bible twice a week, still, it doesn't move the needle a whole bunch on, on some measurable outcomes. Um, three times a week, you're starting to get there. But they found that um, when people read the Bible four times a week, so Monday through Thursday, whatever, just four days a week of like, I'm going to open this up and read it. doesn't mean it's magical every time you read it. It doesn't mean God spoke to you every time, but sometimes, Right? Sometimes God speaks to you and it, that, that was the word for you for that day. When people do this four times a week, they have found a 30% reduction in loneliness. How does that work? It, it, there's something to this, okay? There's a 30% reduction in loneliness of people who are in the scripture four times a week. There's a 32% reduction in anger, maybe because the scripture will challenge you to not be so angry, and then you can't read that so many times, but not start to have to live it out, right? A 40% reduction in bitterness in relationships. Um, people grow bitter over time, but the scripture tells you to lay these things down, and the challenge of that. 47% reduction in alcoholism, that people, uh, when they're reading the scripture four times a week, they are not uh, as prone to cl- cling to alcohol. Uh, 60% of people will report after reading scripture four times a week that they don't feel spiritually stagnant, that there's some growth there. That's huge. Uh, so many people feel stagnant. Uh, here, here's one, 61% reduction in porn usage from people who read the scripture four times a week. Um, now, you want to quibble with those numbers, and you're going to say, well, like, well how do they track that and all that? Um, and, and, and I understand that, but there's something here. And, and we all love, and this should make sense, because we all love the idea of a magic pill. If there was just one thing I could take, and it would make me better in all of these ways, um, wouldn't you take it, right? Like, that, that, hey, this really works. And, and I don't know if there's a magic pill, but what I can tell you is consistent reading of the Scripture has significant impact on your mental health, your spiritual health, your emotional health. Um, it, can, it can change you. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying read this just because, you know, I like people reading the Bible and that's going to be great and all that. Like I'm saying it, it's going to do something for you. There's something significant going on here. Um, it changes your perception of yourself and how you show up in the world um, when we read consistently over time. But I think there's one last piece to it. Um, because it's not just reading alone. 
that will, that will help us stay sane. Um, we actually have to respond to what we read. And so finally, I would say this number three, place yourself under the authority of the scriptures. So reading is knowledge. You, you're taught this since kindergarten. Like you should learn to read and really, reading is really powerful and it's great. It's one, one of the problems we run into though is um, reading is knowledge, but um, sometimes knowledge just makes you arrogant because you don't do anything with it. It makes you arrogant, it can make you hypocritical because you know more than you actually do. And like there's a lot of challenges that go along with that. So reading alone isn't just the thing. If, if it's really going to change you and move the needle for you, you have to adjust your life based on what you actually read there. This is why, uh, this is why Moses tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, um, don't just read this, but like, it needs to be part of your life. It needs to be when you're walking and when you're sleeping and when you, when you get up in the morning and all that. Like, um, you need to get these words in you. You need to teach them to your children. You need to live them out, not just know them. You need to follow the wisdom of the scriptures that you see there, and you need to place um, yourself under this authority of the scripture. See, the assumption we have in our culture, and we're kind of taught this from a very young age, is that we know best. I mean, eventually, like your parents tell you what's what, and then you hit an adulthood, and it's like, well, you know what's best. You, you're the boss, you're the king, you're the master of your own fate, the captain of your own soul. We, we, we kind of believe that and teach that to people. Um, but I, I don't know. I, you know, after a couple decades of adulthood, I, I still don't think I know what's best. Like, I, I have some ideas and I have some thoughts, but they've been proven right sometimes and wrong sometimes. Um, we just get so obsessed in our culture, I think, with new and shiny and, and new ideas, but new ideas aren't better ideas. They're just newer. Sometimes old ideas are actually the best ones because they've survived for a long time. And so when we read the scripture, we get tied into some old ideas. And if we live underneath those, we place ourselves under the authority of those ideas and of the scripture, um, it can change us and we will be less anxious. You will be less anxious when you decide that God gets to decide what's right and wrong in your life. See, this is an important question. I think we should constantly ask this. Um, I, like, pick any topic right now that you want to argue about online or, or in person. Um, if we want to talk about vaccines or just wh- whatever, like, pick a topic you want to argue about. And, and so maybe you're going to say, oh, it's like this. You should do this. And I'm over here going, no, no, it's like this. And I'm gonna, I'll have my opinions. You'll have your opinions. We'll argue and we'll, we'll bring our data points or not, you know, or whatever. We'll just, and so we're going to go back and forth. And I think it should be like this. And I think it should be like this. That, that could be true of a, a politically charged issue. That could also just be true of how you live your life. I think I should get up at this time of day. And I think I should do this. And I, I think I should handle my relationships this way, and I think I should study this, and all that. Like, we're going to have all these things that go back and forth, and we may argue about what's good or right or better. Um, But here's the question that I want everybody to ask themselves, and really you should ask other people this too. I would, parents, if you've got children, train your kids to ask this question. The question is, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? 
Because behind all of the issues, behind all the, 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 the things we argue about is, is these questions of the, the, the epistemology, you could say, or just the, the way we know what we know, and, and, and who gets to decide what is right here? Do you get to decide? Because what if you pick something that's right that's different than what I would pick, and those things are in conflict? Then what do we appeal to? Who gets to decide? Does the government get to decide? Does your teacher get to decide? Who decides what is right? For followers of Jesus, we say, oh, God does. God decides, and then I place myself under his decisions and his authority. And, and, I, and, and if you want to argue for someone else getting to decide, okay, let's have that conversation, but at least let's put it on the table and say, hey, you have a preference, I have a preference. Who wins? Where's the tiebreaker? Who gets to decide what is true and what is right? And it's really hard in a pluralistic society when we're trying to work this out, right? When we read and obey the scripture, we are saying God gets to decide what, what matters. So let me give you one practical tip on reading the scripture and then, and then we're done. Um, a lot of people say, oh, I'd love to read the Bible. And you may hear this and you go like, yeah, I probably should do that. And I'd like to have a reduction in loneliness and bitterness and all of these things. Like, that would be great. I probably should do that. And it'll fall into that category of I should do it like flossing and like a lot of things that you think you should, but you don't necessarily always do. Um, here's the easiest, most practical tip I could give you. Um, and I actually got this from a, a, a guy here in town who, who um, writes about uh, sort of a, um, a rule of life of how we can live for followers of Jesus. And it's basically this. It's scripture before phone. Scripture before phone. When you wake up... Um, Go to the scripture first before you touch your phone. Because when you touch your phone, it's over. You know what I'm talking about? It's over. The text message is there. The email comes in. You can check the weather. You can update that thing. You can see what you did in Clash of Clans. Like, I, I don't know. Like, something. It's over. It, it, it's game on as soon as you touch that thing. So I would say scripture before phone. I would actually advocate for scripture on paper. So it, you don't, you're, yeah, but I got a phone app. Mm. Uh, I know there's a Bible app. You can, I know. I know how that goes. You just scroll through. Like, no. Scripture before phone in the morning. Um, I, uh, I, here, here's one. I'm using the book of Luke right now. I'm going through the book of Luke. Go on Amazon and look, book, search book of Luke. One of the first results that you'll come up with is just the book of Luke uh, with an ESV uh, journal, basically. Last year, we gave you the book of 1 Corinthians, a paper copy with, with blanks for notes. That's what I have for the book of Luke. So I have the book of Luke, and the scripture's on one page, and on the other page, it's blank. And I just write down anything I'm thinking about as I read it. Like, what's that? Or I don't know what that means. Or that's weird. Or that's interesting. And I'm, and I'm just doing a page or two of that every day. That's it. And it's probably going to take me half the year. But a spoiler alert, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Luke as a church this year, starting at Easter. So if you want to get in ahead of that, ahead of that start now. But something like that, where you just get into a little bit of that every, every day. Um, do that reading and let it change you. This is actually um, what Jesus advocated for himself. When, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, uh, it's recorded in the New Testament, uh, I think in, in, in Matthew 4, um, Jesus goes off by himself and gets alone to be with his heavenly father, with God. Um, he fasts, so he's not eating for 40 days, and he's praying, and this is all that's going on. 
And um, Satan comes to tempt him while he's there. And Satan tries to tell him, hey, you should do this, you should do this. And Jesus responds um, with Scripture, with Scripture that he has learned and memorized and, and teaches. And, um, and here he is really hungry. And I love that he says this um, because Satan's like, hey, why don't you take these stones and make them bread and then you can eat them. And Jesus says, um, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus himself said, it's good to eat. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not all there is in life. It's not just food. There's more to, to life than just merely being alive. You need to feast. You need to eat the very words of God. And let that change you. And that's why, that's why I'm saying, man, one simple practice that we can get in and a habit to be in as a community this year, read and, and, and let God's words ingest them. Let them become part of you. Um, I, I, I meet with a couple formation groups and we're going to start memorizing some stuff together. Like read it, learn it, memorize it, put yourself under its authority and, and see if God doesn't use that to help you keep your sanity in the midst of sea of crazy. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for writing things down, for giving us the word that it was able to be translated. God, um, lots of people died in order for us to be able to have the word of God, your words written to us, and even in English, and that it can be in front of us, and it, it's a big deal historically that we were able to have this. So, God, I pray we don't take that for granted. We don't take your words and just throw it under the seat in our car or um, just kind of put it on a coffee table but never look at it. I pray that um, as we ingest this, as we live under its authority, that um, we take it seriously and that we grow from it. Um, Thank you, God, for the blessing that is um, your words. Um, I pray we live into them and live under them uh, and, 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 and allow them to change us. In Jesus' name, amen.